Life is complex. Join us for the simple gifts of wisdom, love, and delight in the written word. The Life and Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe Chapter 9 A Boat Part 2 Now I wished for my boy Jury and the longboat with shoulder of mutton sail, with which I sailed above a thousand miles on the coast of Africa. But this was in vain. Then I thought I would go and look at our ship's boat, which, as I have said, was blown up upon the shore a great way, in the storm, when we were first cast away. She lay almost where she did at first, but not quite, and was turned, by the force of the waves and the winds, almost bottom upward, against a high ridge of beachy rough sand, but no water about her. If I had had hands to have refitted her, and to have launched her into the water, the boat would have done well enough, and I might have gone back into the Brazils with her easily enough. But I might have foreseen that I could no more turn her and set her up right upon her bottom than I could remove the island. However, I went to the woods, and cut levers and rollers, and brought them to the boat resolving to try what I could do, suggesting to myself that if I could but turn her down, I might repair the damage she had received and she would be a very good boat, and I might go to sea in her very easily. I spared no pains, indeed, in this piece of fruitless toil, and spent, I think, three or four weeks about it. At last, finding it impossible to heave it up with my little strength, I fell to digging away the sand, to undermine it, and so to make it fall down, setting pieces of wood to thrust and guide it right in the fall. But when I had done this, I was unable to stir it up again, or get under it, much less to move it forward towards the water. So I was forced to give it over. And yet, though I gave over the hopes of the boat, my desire to venture over for the main increased rather than decreased, as the means for it seemed impossible. This at length put me upon thinking whether it was not possible to make myself a canoe, or periagua, such as the natives of those climates make, even without tools, or as I might say, without hands, of the trunk of a great tree. This I not only thought possible, but easy, and pleased myself extremely with the thoughts of making it, with my having much more convenience for it than any of the Negroes or Indians, but not at all considering the particular inconveniences which I lay under more than the Indians did, namely, want of hands to move it, when it was made, into the water a difficulty much harder for me to surmount than all the consequences of want of tools could be to them. For what was it to me, if when I had chosen a vast tree in the woods, and with much trouble cut it down, if I had been able with my tools to hew and dub the outside into the proper shape of a boat, and burn or cut out the inside to make it hollow, so as to make a boat of it? If, after all this, I must leave it just there where I found it, and not be able to launch it into the water? One would have thought I could not have had the least reflection upon my mind of circumstances while I was making this boat, but I should have immediately thought how I should get it into the sea. But my thoughts were so intent upon my voyage over the sea in it, that I never once considered how I should get it off the land. And it was, really, in its own nature, more easy for me to guide it over forty-five miles of sea than about forty-five fathoms of land where it lay, to set it afloat in the water. I went to work upon this boat, the most like a fool that ever man did who had any of his senses awake. I pleased myself with the design, without determining whether I was ever able to undertake it, not but that the difficulty of launching my boat came often into my head. 
but I put a stop to my inquiries into it by this foolish answer which I gave myself. Let me first make it. I warrant I will find some way or other to get it along when it is done. This was a most preposterous method, but the eagerness of my fancy prevailed, and to work I went. I felled a cedar tree, and I questioned much whether Solomon ever had such a one for the building of the temple of Jerusalem. It was five feet ten inches diameter at the lower part next the stump, and four feet eleven inches diameter at the end of twenty-two feet, after which it lessened for a while and then parted into branches. It was not without infinite labor that I felled this tree. I was twenty days hacking and hewing at it at the bottom. I was fourteen more getting the branches and limbs and the vast spreading head cut off, which I hacked and hewed through with axe and hatchet, and inexpressible labor. After this, it cost me a month to shape it, and dub it to a proportion, and to something like the bottom of a boat, that it might swim upright as it ought to do. It cost me near three months more to clear the inside, and work it out so as to make an exact boat of it. This I did, indeed, without fire, by mere mallet and chisel, and by the dint of hard labor, till I had brought it to be a very handsome periagua and big enough to have carried six and twenty men, and consequently big enough to have carried me and all my cargo. When I had gone through this work, I was extremely delighted with it. The boat was really much bigger than ever I saw a canoe or periagua that was made of one tree in my life. Many a weary stroke it had cost, you may be sure, and had I gotten it into the water, I make no question, but I should have begun the maddest voyage, and the most unlikely to be performed, that ever was undertaken. But all my devices to get it into the water failed me, though they cost me infinite labor, too. It lay about one hundred yards from the water, and not more. But the first inconvenience was, it was uphill towards the creek. Well, to take away this discouragement, I resolved to dig into the surface of the earth, and so make a declivity. This I began, and it cost me a prodigious deal of pains. But who grudge pains who have their deliverance in view? But when this was worked through, and this difficulty managed, it was still much the same, for I could no more stir the canoe than I could the other boat. Then I measured the distance of ground, and resolved to cut a dock or canal to bring the water up to the canoe, seeing I could not bring the canoe down to the water. Well, I began this work, and when I began to enter upon it and calculate how deep it was to be dug, how broad, how the stuff was to be thrown out, I found that, by the number of hands I had, being none but my own, it must have been ten or twelve years before I could have gone through with it, for the shore lay so high that at the upper end it must have been at least twenty feet deep. So at length, though with great reluctancy, I gave this attempt over also. This grieved me heartily, and now I saw, though too late, the folly of beginning a work before we count the cost, and before we judge rightly of our own strength to go through with it. In the middle of this work I finished my fourth year in this place and kept my anniversary with the same devotion, and with as much comfort as ever before. For by a constant study and serious application to the word of God, and by the assistance of his grace, I gained a different knowledge from what I had before. I entertained different notions of things. I look now upon the world as a thing remote, which I had nothing to do with, no expectations from, and, indeed, no desires about. In a word, I had nothing indeed to do with it, nor was ever likely to have, so I thought it looked, as we may perhaps look upon it hereafter, namely, as a place I had lived in, but was come out of it, 
And well might I say, as Father Abraham to Dives, Between me and thee is a great gulf fixed. In the first place, I was removed from all the wickedness of the world here. I had neither the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eye, nor the pride of life. I had nothing to covet, for I had all that I was now capable of enjoying. I was lord of the whole matter, or if I pleased, I might call myself king or emperor over the whole country which I had possession of. There were no rivals. I had no competitor, none to dispute sovereignty or command with me. I might have raised shiploadings of corn, but I had no use for it, so I let as little grow as I thought enough for my occasion. I had tortoise or turtle enough, but now and then one was as much as I could put to any use. I had timber enough to have built a fleet of ships, and I had grapes enough to have made wine, or to have cured into raisins, to have loaded that fleet when it had been built. But all I could make use of was all that was valuable. I had enough to eat and supply my wants, and what was all the rest to me? If I killed more flesh than I could eat, the dog must eat it, or vermin. If I sowed more corn than I could eat, it must be spoiled. The trees that I cut down were lying to rot on the ground. I could make no more use of them but for fuel, and that I had no occasion for but to dress my food. In a word, the nature and experience of things dictated to me, upon just reflection, that all the good things of this world are no farther good to us than they are for our use, and that, whatever we may heap up to give others, we enjoy just as much as we can use, and no more. The most covetous, griping miser in the world would have been cured of the vice of covetousness if he had been in my case, for I possessed infinitely more than I knew what to do with. I had no room for desire, except it was of things which I had not, and they were but trifles though, indeed, of great use to me. I had, as I hinted before, a parcel of money, as well gold as silver, about thirty-six pounds sterling. Alas, there the sorry, useless stuff lay. I had no more manner of business for it, and often thought with myself that I would have given a handful of it for a gross of tobacco pipes, or for a hand-mill to grind my corn. Nay, I would have given it all for a sixpennyworth of turnip and carrot-seed out of England or for a handful of peas and beans and a bottle of ink. As it was, I had not the least advantage by it or benefit from it, but there it lay in a drawer, and grew moldy with the damp of the cave in the wet seasons, and if I had had the drawer full of diamonds, it had been the same case. They had been of no manner of value to me, because of no use. I had now brought my state of life to be much easier in itself than it was at first, and much easier to my mind as well as to my body. I frequently sat down to meet with thankfulness, and admired the hand of God's providence, which had thus spread my table in the wilderness. I learned to look more upon the bright side of my condition, and less upon the dark side, and to consider what I enjoyed rather than what I wanted. And this gave me sometimes such secret comforts that I cannot express them, and which I take notice of here, to put those discontented people in mind of it who cannot enjoy comfortably what God has given them because they see and covet something that he has not given them. All our discontents about what we want appeared to me to spring from the want of thankfulness for what we have. Tis the gift to be simple. Tis the gift to be free. Tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, twill be in the valley of love and delight. 
When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we will not be ashamed. To turn, turn, will be our delight, till by turning, turning, we come round right. <laughs>